In your Bibles tonight, 1 Samuel chapter number 19. 1 Samuel chapter number 19, we'll begin reading in verse number 1. And this is the beginning of David's exile. Uh, David has uh, done as well as he could, and he's climbing an uphill battle because Saul is full of envy and rage. And this is the beginning of David's exile. It's actually a 10-year period where David uh, leaves the palace and goes back and forth between uh, being chased and Saul's attempts to murder him and uh, days and years of trouble. But it's in those 10 years that David learns to lead and God prepares him to be the king of Israel. And we see the beginning here of David's exile. And we'll read together this entire chapter, 24 verses, 1 Samuel chapter 19. The Bible says, And Saul spake to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father, seeketh to kill thee. Now therefore, I pray thee, take heed thyself until the morning, and abide in a secret place, and hide thyself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where thou art. And I will commune with my father of thee. And what I see, that I will tell thee. And Jonathan spake good of David unto Saul his father, and said unto him, Let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he hath not sinned against thee, and because his works have been to thee were very good. For he did put his life in his hand, and slew the Philistine, and the Lord wrought a great salvation for all Israel. Thou sawest it, and didst rejoice. Wherefore then wilt thou sin against innocent blood to slay David without a cause? And Saul hearkened to the voice of Jonathan, and Saul swear, As the Lord liveth, he shall not be slain. And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan showed him all those things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as in times past. And there was a war again. And David went out and fought with the Philistines, and slew them with a great slaughter. And they fled from him, and the evil spirit from the Lord was upon Saul. As he sat in his house with his javelin in his hand, and David played with his hand. And Saul sought to smite David even to the wall with the javelin. But he slipped away out of Saul's presence. And he smote the javelin into the wall. And David fled and escaped that night. Saul also sent messengers unto David's house to watch him and to slay him in the morning. And Michael, David's wife, told him, saying, If thou save not thy life tonight... Tomorrow thou shalt be slain. So Michael let David down through a window, and he went and fled and escaped. And Michael took an image and laid it in the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair for his bolster and covered it with cloth. And when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, He is sick. And Saul sent the messengers again to see David, saying, Bring him up to me in the bed that I may slay him. When the messengers were come in, behold, there was an image in the bed with a pillow of goat's hair for his bolster. And Saul said unto Michael, Why hast thou deceived me so, and sent away mine enemy, that he has escaped? And Michael answered Saul, He said unto me, Let me go, why should I kill thee? So David fled and escaped and came to Samuel to Ramah, and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and dwelt in Naoth. And it was told Saul, saying, Behold, David is at Naoth in Ramah. And Saul sent messengers to take David. 
And when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying and Samuel standing as appointed over them, the Spirit of God was upon the messengers of Saul. And they also prophesied. And when it was told Saul, he sent other messengers, and they prophesied likewise. And Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they prophesied also. Then went he also to Ramah, and came to a great well that is in the CQ. And he asked and said, Where are Samuel and David? And one said, Behold, they be at Naoth and Ramah. And he went thither to Naoth and Ramah, and the Spirit of God was upon him also. And he went on and prophesied until he came to Naoth and Ramah. And he stripped off his clothes also and prophesied before Samuel in like manner and lay down naked all that day and all that night. Wherefore, they say, is Saul also among the prophets? We come to this passage of Scripture and... This is the beginning of David's exile. There's, in, as I present and preach this message tonight, I'm going to present it to you in three sections. The first section is Jonathan's friendship. The beginning of this passage of Scripture, you see uh, Saul wants to kill David again. And Jonathan says, Dad, you don't make any sense. And he speaks up for David. He lets, David, he lets Saul and reminds Saul that David has done nothing Bad against you. He's only done things very good for you. He even risked his own life to kill Goliath. And here you want to kill him. You need to stop that. And Saul hearkens to Jonathan's voice. The first thing we'll talk about tonight is Jonathan's friendship. The second section of this passage of Scripture, we see uh, Saul's envy. Saul, in the next section of this passage of Scripture, Saul uh, witnesses once again God's blessing on David. David goes out and fights against the Philistines, and God uses him in a mighty way. And his envy is stirred once again in his heart, and this time it will not be quenched because Saul, for the rest of his life, will be seeking to do great harm to David. Saul's so angry. Saul's so angry that he sends uh, Jonathan tells David, you better get out of here. Dad's really mad. He wants to kill you. David goes home to his wife. His wife says, I've already heard. You better get out of here. Dad wants to kill you. And so Michael, his wife, lets him out the window over the wall and sets a dummy in his place, covers him up with pillows and makes it look like David's in the bed. When the Messengers of Saul comes. She says, he's sick. They go back and says, he's sick. Saul says, I don't care. Bring him in his bed so I can slay him. They go back and there's a dummy where David was supposed to be. And Saul's envy is horrible. Then David, when he's let down out of the window, he makes his way to Samuel the prophet. He makes his way to the uh, to the home, to the house where the prophets stay in Ramah. And there, God does something amazing. I, I love this part of the story because it's just kind of wild to see how God protects David. Samuel and David praying, worshiping the Lord. And the prophets, the school of the prophets, this group of prophets, they're all praising the Lord. They're having a, a real time in the Lord. And the messengers come. And the next thing you know, they're prophesying. They're, they're having a good time in the Lord too. They're praising the Lord. They may have been speaking in tongues. They may have been doing something like that. 
Uh, it was some kind of unusual overcoming of the Holy Spirit. But God's actually using these men to praise him who were coming to kill his anointed. Uh, it's proof that you can have some type of a spiritual experience and not even be saved. But the first group of messengers, they get overcome with the Spirit and they're hooping and hollering and running. I, I can just imagine them as running the aisles and hopping the pews. and if they, they couldn't come and get David because every time they started to get him, they'd be overcome with a hallelujah. <laughs> One group of messengers, two group of messengers, the same thing happens. The third group of messengers, the Spirit of God overcomes them. And they can't take David. And so Saul says, I'll tell you what. If nobody else gets this job done, I'll get it done. And King Saul himself goes to the school of the prophets. And when he comes into the presence of the prophets, to the place where David and Samuel are, he's overcome and he prophesies too. He's overcome with the Spirit and can't get David either. And David slips out and goes away. And that concludes our chapter. And I want to talk about this, David's exile And some things that God gave him and some things that he dealt with to help him in a time, once again, a time of great discouragement. First of all, I want you to consider with me tonight Jonathan's friendship. Jonathan's friendship. Uh, The Bible puts great value on friendship and being a friend. One of my favorite verses about being a friend is the verse that says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. A good friend will tell you when you're wrong. A good friend, if necessary, will make you mad. Friendship. Friendship is not always agreeing. Friendship is being the kind of person that loves somebody and cares enough for somebody that you will be a blessing to them and tell them the truth. Somebody that will be in your corner, somebody that has your back. I like the idea of being a friend. A friend is somebody that's a friend to your face and a friend behind your back and a friend who tell you the truth, a friend who will... Stand up for you, friend who will help. And Jonathan was a friend. He was quite the friend. The Bible says in our first, uh, second verse of chapter 19, we'll just be in verse 1, Saul spake to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David. What does Jonathan do? Jonathan's a friend. Jonathan's a friend to David. He's at a spot right now where he's got to choose between his dad and his friend. And Jonathan makes the right decision. He chooses what is right. A good friend chooses what is right. Verse number 2, the Bible says, But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father, seeketh to kill thee. Now therefore I pray thee, take heed to thyself until the morning, and abide in a secret place, and hide thyself. Now this was bad news, but Jonathan had to bear it to his friend. Jonathan didn't beat around the bush. He didn't skirt around the issues. A good friend is somebody who'll just tell you the way it is. He said, my dad's out to kill you. You're going to have to hide. Verse 3, he says, I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where thou art, and I will commune with my father of thee, and what I see, that I will tell thee. Now, Jonathan says, look, I'm going to stand up for you. I'm going to go talk to dad about this, and I'll let you know what I come up with, what I find out. Jonathan is a true friend. Jonathan, the Bible says in chapter 18, the first four verses, that Jonathan and David's hearts were knit together. My father-in-law shared something with him this past week that I'm going to share with you. 
I want you to look with me back in chapter number 18, the first four verses. We rolled through this, and it's, no, it's impossible to exhaust the scriptures as we go through them if we were to take a long time because it's inexhaustible. This is the mind of God. When you open the Bible, you open the mind of God. And we can't exhaust the mind of God, but there's so many rich things here in the first four verses of chapter number 18. The Bible says, verse 1, it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would let him go no more home to his father. Verse 3, then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. Now, Jonathan was a friend. Now, something interesting to think about, Jonathan had just witnessed David do something amazing. He just witnessed David risk his own life for the nation of Israel. He'd watch David with great courage in the name of God stand before the giant Goliath. And I'll just tell you, it changed Jonathan's life. Jonathan said, that's the kind of guy that I want in my life. That's the kind of guy I want to be a friend with. By the way, when you're choosing your friends, choose friends with character. Choose friends that want to do the right thing. I'll just have you know something. It's better to have no friends at all than to have friends that are full of the devil. Just remember, you're never alone. And a bad friend is no friend at all. As a matter of fact, you hear people say, I just want to have friends. And they go after friends that are leading them to do the wrong thing. And they pursue friendships that are wicked and wrong. And I'll just tell you something. You are deceived. If you think that person is your friend, you're, you're wrong. You know how to tell you your real friends are? Go to jail and see who comes and visits you. I mean, I don't want you to try it out, guys, but <laughs> blow it and see who's got your back. And in this case, Jonathan said, that's the kind of person that I want to be my friend. And it is a beautiful relationship that develops a friendship, a righteous, holy, good friendship between David and Jonathan. And it's amazing. But the crown prince of the nation of Israel, Jonathan, says, I want to be friends with that shepherd boy. That man's got character. That man has guts. That man has courage. That man loves God. That man's got his priorities straight. I want to be friends with him. Jonathan and David, their hearts are knit together. They become friends. They covenant together because they love one another. The Bible says in verse before of Chapter 18, and Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. This picture here is kind of interesting to watch. Jonathan says, look, I perceive you as a friend and I perceive you as a savior. Often in the Old Testament, David is a picture of the coming Christ. And from David will come Jesus. And Jonathan does a very wise thing. He says, you're God's anointed. You're God's chosen. And I'm going to give you the things in my life that are valuable. Look at these things. Verse number 4. Jonathan stripped himself of his robe. He's the crown prince of the nation of Israel. He wore an ex- exceptional robe. He, his outer garments would have said, I'm the king's son. His outer garments would have said, I am royalty. His outer garments would have said, I have position. 
And he says, I want you to know something, David. You're God's anointed. You're God's chosen. You're like a savior to us. And I want you to know something, that I want to give you my robe because I am surrendering my position. Folks, I want you to know something. When we come to Jesus Christ, we need to say, look, it's not about me. It's all about God. Jonathan gave David his robe. The second thing that he gives him, you see in verse 4, Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments. His garments were his possessions. His garments were his. He says, look, I'm going to give you my position. I'm also going to give you my possessions. If you want to use what I have, you can have it. That's a good way to live life with Jesus. We need to surrender what we have to God. I've told you this before, but I have a special neighbor in North Carolina. I love him very much. He's my friend. And I remember the first time that he ever came over to my house. I was remodeling a house right across the creek from him. And he came in, and he likes to talk, and uh, he has tools. This man has tools. One of these days when I grow up, I'm going to have just as many tools as he does. That's what I want. And he's got all kinds of tools. He likes tools. He's a collector of tools. And he came to the house, and first time I met him, I remember I was on my hands and knees plumbing a toilet in the bathroom. And he said, uh, now, I've got all kinds of tools. Anything you need, you can have. And you know, people are really nice to say something like that, but they don't always mean it. But he did. It wasn't long until uh, he convinced me that I need to use one of his tools. He was insistent. He wanted to make sure that he knew what he had I could use. I was thankful for that. And I remember one day I went over to get something for him. And I was nervous about it because, you know, how people get about borrowing their tools. And I said, I'll have this right back to you. He said, now, don't you worry about that. I know you'll bring it back. He said, I want you to know something. And he's got this shop full of tools. It's amazing. Did I mention he's got a lot of tools? It's great. <laughs> he said, I want you to know something. He said, preacher, God's been good to me. He said, everything you see, God's provided for me. He said, as far as I'm concerned, God's just loaned it to me. And I think it's appropriate for me to loan it to you. He said, I'm not going to be able to keep it forever anyway. And so, help yourself. And I love that spirit. I love that spirit. And Jonathan said, you know what? I've got these things. I've got these possessions. He said, God's just loaned them to me. And if I can find somebody like you, David, a man after God's own heart, a picture of the coming Savior, a godly person, I think I'll just surrender my possessions to you. I'll surrender my possessions. And it was a picture of him surrendering his possessions to God and saying, Lord, you can have them. By the way, God can use what you have better than you can use what you can have. So you might as well let him use them anyway. Jonathan surrendered his robe, his garments. Look what else he surrendered in verse 4. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon, his, upon him and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword. The Bible says wants to make sure that we know and we get this picture in his mind that, David, that Jonathan gave David his sword. He surrendered his protection to David. He said, I just soon trust you with my protection as myself. Now, we think sometimes that we can protect ourselves. 
And we should, if we need to protect ourselves, protect your family, protect yourself. But if we're honest about protection and real protection, safety's of the Lord. And we should surrender our protection to the Lord and know and trust the Lord to take care of us. God will take care of you. And Jonathan says, I want to be friends with that kind of person. I love David. And he surrenders his sword and his girdle. He surrenders his future, his future plans to David. A picture of surrendering him to God. Jonathan was a true friend. John was a true friend. Their hearts were knit, and God proved himself mighty. Back to our text, chapter 19, verse number 4. The Bible says, Jonathan spake good of David unto Saul his father. Something I love about Jonathan's character in this moment is that in a moment where speaking up for Jonathan was not popular, Jonathan said what needed to be said anyway. I like that spirit. I love it when somebody with great courage does what's right, says what's right, even when it's not popular at the moment. Jonathan spake good of David unto Saul his father and said unto him, Let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he hath not sinned against thee. The first thing he says to Saul about David, he says, Dad, you've lost your mind. Why would you sin against somebody who has not sinned against you? He's not sinned against you. He says, as a matter of fact, in verse number 4, He hath not sinned against thee, because his works have been to thee were very good. He says, Dad, everything he's done toward you has not only been good, it's been very good. Jonathan makes his case and makes it strong. Verse 5, he continues, he says, He put his life in his hand and slew the flesh. He said he's risked his life to fight Goliath. You remember that, right? He risked his life for you and for us. And the Lord through him wrought a great salvation for all of Israel. He said in verse 5, You saw it. You did rejoice. He says, wherefore, why? Wherefore then wilt thou sin against innocent blood to slay David without a cause? I've thought so many times today as I've read over and over again, verse number 5, without a cause. Old Saul, he was the direct opposite of God's chosen king, David. David stepped into earshot of Goliath and Heard him curse God and said, I'm going to fight that giant. I said, you're crazy. He said, is there not a cause? And with great boldness, he goes out and fights Goliath. And Saul, full of envy and anger, what's he do? Saul, just because he's jealous that David has had another success without a cause, he seeks to slay him. I don't know about you, but I like David's way better. Verse number 6, Saul hearkened unto the voice of Jonathan. I, I'm so thankful that the work that Jonathan did, it actually did David some good and helped him for a while. Saul hearkened unto the voice of Jonathan. Saul swear, as the Lord liveth, he shall not be slain. Folks, I want you to know something. God gave David a friend. When David's life took a terrible turn, God gave him a friend, and Jonathan was faithful. 
I want to encourage you to do something. Be that kind of friend. Be that kind of friend that puts God first, that does the right thing, that's willing to trust the Lord. Seek that kind of friend. And God will bless Jonathan's friendship, number one. Number two, I want you to see this with me. Saul's envy. Saul's envy. Beginning in verse number eight, the picture changes. The Bible says this is what happened. Verse number eight, there was war again, and David went out. War rose up again, and so David goes to war. That's what he's been doing at this stage in his life. David went out and fought with the Philistines and slew them with a great slaughter. And they fled from him. Oh, man, David did it again. David hit a home run. David won. David added to his tens of thousands and brought victory. How did Saul respond? Now, this is a man, this is a man that won a war for the king... And no one benefited more for David's victory than Saul himself. But when Saul saw, I like that, Saul saw. When Saul saw what Saul saw, he saw a lot. When Saul saw that once again David had been blessed. And David had done wisely. And David had won a victory. Instead of shouting for the victory and praising the Lord, guess what happened? The Bible says in verse 9, The evil spirit from the Lord was upon Saul, and he sat in his house with his javelin in his hand. And David played with his hand, and Saul sought to smite David even to the wall with the javelin. What did Saul do? Man, he just couldn't stand it. I want to challenge you about something. Envy is something that boils up in the hearts of all of God's people. You're not free from that temptation. The moment you think, that'll never happen to me, look at it, it's going to happen tomorrow, maybe sooner. Envy is something that slips into all of our hearts. If you ever see something good happen to somebody and your immediate response is not nice, then you have a problem with envy, jealousy. The Ten Commandments calls it covetousness. You need to be careful. There's no room for that in the Christian life. When you've stepped through that door, the next decision you make is going to be detrimental to your future and somebody else's. And so here David rots a great vigor. You could think, I can imagine David, he says, I can imagine thinking in his heart, you know, we've had some rough patches along the way. Me and father-in-law King Saul but I can imagine you coming home from this victory. Wars come again and they've wrought a great victory. And because of David and the fear of David and his men who are serving King Saul, they've seen the Philistine army run away. And I imagine making his way home thinking, you know, maybe since I've done a good work for the king, he'll be happy this time. <laughs> There's two lessons to learn. Don't be like Saul. The second lesson to learn is be prepared because... There are people out there, no matter how well you do and how well intended that you are, that they're going to respond to you in envy and jealousy. You see, you'll never, ever please everybody. You'll never come close. 
But remember, like David, God never failed him. And even in his time of exile, God raised up a good friend. God raised up a good friend. Envy. Old Saul's envy caused great trouble. Let's continue looking at the text here. Verse number 9. I've read it already, but there's something else I want you to see. And the evil spirit from the Lord was upon Saul as he sat in his house with his javelin in his hand. What's Saul doing? Saul's got his javelin in his hand. I see him. He's got that thing white-knuckled. He's so angry. He's got his javelin in his hand. What's David have in his hand? David played with his hand the harp. It's interesting. You know, our hands find things to do, right? We should allow our hands to do things that are good. If you find yourself clinging to the proverbial javelin, angry and mad, looking for an opportunity to seek revenge, by all means, let go with your hand. Maybe you should learn something from David. When he got home from war, He was looking for an opportunity to use his hands to be a blessing to somebody else. And he knew in the past that playing the harp had been something that was a blessing to his king. And he used his hands to do something that was good. Your hands can do great things or bad things. We can learn a lesson from the hands of David and Saul. Verse number 10, Saul sought sought to smite David even to the wall. This is the third time. He wanted to smite him to the wall with the javelin, but David slipped away out of Saul's presence, and he smote the javelin in the wall, and David fled and escaped that night. In verse 11, Saul sent messengers unto David's house to watch him and to slay him. Psalm 59. I'd encourage you to do something. Read Psalm 59 with this in mind. Read Psalm 59 with this in mind. David has just got home. Michael, his wife, has told him that there are slimy sleazeballs outside waiting to kill you. And if we don't let you out the back window, you're going to be dead before the morning. It's in that setting that he writes Psalm 59. You'll find it pretty fascinating, I think. Verse number 12. So Michael let David down through a window. Michael prepared a dummy to deceive and put the messengers and Saul on his heels for a moment. And all this mess is because of Saul's envy. Boy, isn't it sad when you have somebody that hates you? Isn't it tough when you have somebody that dislikes you? Isn't it tough when you have situations where folks, no matter what you say, no matter how good you do, they just won't give you any peace? Folks, if you're waiting for a moment in your life when you have no enemies, you have no problems to be happy, that moment will never come. We have to learn that our hope is in Jesus. We have to learn that our peace is in Jesus. We have to learn that God's blessing is wrapped up in our commitment to Jesus. That really and truly, the things this world, the people in this world, will never bring us total satisfaction and happiness. There'll never be a moment in your life where everything's going my way. That song is just a deception early in the morning. Sometimes I'm confused in the morning too. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, what a beautiful morning. Everything's going my way. <laughs> but I do know this to be true. God is always faithful. Even when there's moments that we just think, goodness, this is a mess. Look what the king has set out to do. 
Look what I've had to do. David has been, been let out the window. And his discouragement and his trouble, it's not over. He's being let out of the window, running for his life, after he's done so good. Something we can learn from David in this moment, he did not turn his back on the Lord. He did not lose hope in the faithfulness of God. And the devil loves when discouraging things come our way and we say, forget it. I'm not going to trust God anymore. I thought this was going to be easy. David kept on trusting. And every time he did, it proved to be good and right and blessed. Saul's envy. Number three, God's protection. God's protection. This is an unusual picture. The last few verses of this chapter, verses 18 to verse 24, we see messengers coming to Saul. The first thing that I want to pay attention to and notice is that David does something very, very wise. When David, in a moment of desperation, is looking for some place to turn, looking for help, where does he go? He goes where he can get good counsel. He goes where he can get good counsel. He goes to Samuel the prophet. He goes to Samuel the prophet. Let's just read a few verses here. Verse 18. The Bible says, David fled and escaped and came to Samuel, to Ramah, and told him all that Saul had done to him. I, I like that little phrase, what David did. David went and found the prophet, somebody trustworthy and honorable. And David said, look, Samuel, here's what's going on. Here's what's happening. Here's what Saul has done. The Bible says, and he went, he... And Samuel went and dwelt in Naoth. Naoth is like a house. It's a, it was like probably the house of the prophets or the school, the building where the prophets were. And the Bible says, And it was told Saul, saying, Behold, David is at Naoth in Ramah. And Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying and Samuel standing as appointed over them, the Spirit of God was upon the messengers and Saul, and they all prophesied. David goes to Saul, a trusted place for good counsel. The Bible says in the multitude of counselors there's safety. The counselor points him to the Lord. And David and Samuel are worshiping the Lord and praying, trying to get help. And it's in that setting that God performs a miracle of sorts. The first group of messengers, they come, and they're so overcome by the Spirit of God that they begin to praise the Lord. These, uh, most likely, it's, uh, these heathen tongues are praising the Lord. They're just overcome. Have you ever seen these videos of these happy, laughing revivals? I'm not for that, by the way. It's emotionally. As a matter of fact, if you ever see somebody use this text to prove that there's this overcoming spiritual power that calls you to uncontrollably praise the Lord, to get slain in the Spirit or whatever it is. You remind them graciously in the Spirit of Christ, we're not argumentative, fussy people, but you remind them that God used this wild occurrence not for His faithful, faith-filled Christian people as a sign of what God had done in their heart. God used this wild occasion to prevent the enemies of God's chosen from taking him and killing him. Don't forget that. If you see some wild and crazy religious experience, laughing revival, we should, our radar should rise. Because in the Bible, God has used moments like that to prevent, 
something bad from happening to God's people. I love people faith. And I love people who trust the Lord. And I love it when God speaks to my heart and they lift up holy hands. And I love it when somebody shouts praises to the Lord. That's good and fine. But we don't need to be looking for some overcoming spirit. In this setting, in this place, God is using this wild, odd spirit to protect his chosen. So you got this group of people, they're hooping and hollering and carrying on. They're like, what in the world am I doing? They're looking at their buddies that they're at the bar with. Like, what are we doing? Hallelujah. I can't stop. Hallelujah. <laughs> it's a, I'd like to sing it. I'm hoping that God's got all this stuff recorded so when I get to heaven, I can just sit and watch what happened. Because <laughs> this is one of the first scenes I want to see. One group of rough and tough messengers go to get David, and they're praising Jesus. Group number two of rough and tough messengers from Saul to come to kill David, and they're praising Jesus. And group number three, and they're praising Jesus. And Saul, that mean devil that he is, he says, I'll fix this. He walks into the presence of David and the prophets and Samuel, and he's carrying on praising God too. And our chapter comes to a conclusion and David slips out. What I want you to say, I want to say here is this. God protected David. God protected David. That day that Saul said, I'm going to kill him or else. God protected David. I see three things in this passage of scripture. Jonathan's friendship. Saul's envy. And God's protection. Now, if we're not careful, we're, it's possible that we get so caught up with the fact that we've got some body like Saul who wants to hurt us. We have a circumstance that is just not good. We've got this problem, 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 problem. And we forget. That that problem is sandwiched with some good friends and the protection of God. We look at this passage of scripture and it's bad news for David. But if we look at it really close and we pay attention, we understand that God on the front side gives David a friend. And God on the back side shows and proves that God will protect you even though right in the middle of this mess you've got a Saul that's on your case. And I want to remind you Christian people. About the time you think everything is hopeless, you're going to find those two things. God will send a friend. And God will always provide in unusual ways his divine protection. Bank on it. You may feel like David and you're in exile. I want to encourage you to know something. God's going to send a friend. And God is going to offer his protection. So don't let Saul get under your skin. Just live in faith, believing and knowing that God is always faithful. We can trust him.